This is a sermon from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. To learn more about New City or to hear more sermons in this series, visit newcitycincy.org. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Luke, chapter 6, verses 46 to 49. We will begin on page 863 in the Bibles in your rows, if you'd like to follow along as I read. Luke 6, 46 to 49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, New City. My name is Ryan Zhang. I'm one of the pastors here. Glad to be worshiping with you all this morning. Let me invite you to bow your head again. Let's pray for the McLeans again. Father, we lift up Miles and Emily's to you this morning. We pray that you would comfort them, comfort Emily in her rest, and we pray that you would give them strength to bear the days ahead and also hope, especially hope on this Sunday morning as we look forward to the resurrection of our body. May that give them hope and strength. We pray that you would convict us the truth as well of your resurrection and the hope that it brings to us. We pray all these in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you turn on the TV right now, it doesn't take very long to be reminded that we are in the middle of an election season. I'm talking about campaign ads. Now, with a variety of streaming services, I, we barely watch any live television in our house anymore. So I thought I, I could escape all these campaign ads that's until I go to YouTube. And before any video plays on YouTube, there's at least one, if not two, campaign ads there. It's very annoying. Then I realized something about all these campaign ads. They actually don't tell me who I should vote for. Do you notice that? They don't tell you who to vote for. They tell me who I should not vote for. They tell me how terrible the other guy is. And without doing any research on my own, I actually don't know who else is on the ballot or what he or she would um, propose to do. And even if you actually look on the candidate's website, you are likely just going to find some general statements like pro-abortion or uh, tax cuts or the end deficits, uh, free cupcakes. You you, You won't find much more details than that. And it's risky to, you know, it's risky to tell people what you would propose to do because one, if you talk about it and you can't actually do it, then it's embarrassment. And then two, if you talk about it and it turns out to be bad policy, then it makes you a failure. And then still less, do we see candidates say, these are my proposals. If you do them, your life will be rock solid. If you don't, you'll be doomed. Now, no one would dare to make those type of claims unless it's an egomaniac. It's one thing to demonize your opponents and criticize their policies. It's totally different to have so much confidence on your own. And we've been going through Jesus' Sermon on the Plain in Luke chapter 6 for the last 
six, seven weeks. And in this sermon, Jesus openly describes what his kingdom will look like. This is how you succeed in the kingdom of God. This is what happiness looks like. And today, in the final sections of this sermon, Jesus says, if you do what I say, it's like building a house on a solid foundation. You will be strong. If you don't do what I say, it's like building a house with no foundation. You will fail and fail spectacularly. How is that for a mic drop? Now, you know, we may have this image of Jesus of being this gentle, nice guy who gets along with everybody and forgives everybody. But Jesus ends the sermon with a total boss move. He shows them who's boss. Or better yet, he shows them who's king. And naturally, if you obey the king, you will be happy. If you don't obey the king, you will suffer consequences. And herein tells us that there's a certain danger in encountering Jesus. There's a danger in hearing his words. There's a danger for all of you who's been here in the last six, seven weeks. Because you know, now you have heard not just some minor danger, but life-altering danger. You didn't know what you're getting into, did you? So what could be some potential outcomes from hearing Jesus' words? Well, let me talk about three of them. The possible, the impossible, and the imperishable. All right? There's one possible outcome. It's possible to have a relationship with Jesus but not do his works. It's possible to have a relationship with Jesus, but not do his words. That's the situation that Jesus is talking about in verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Now notice he's not talking about the people who totally reject Jesus. They call him Lord, which is a sign of respect and even submission. It's acknowledgement that Jesus is king over us, even God. And it's not just a casual acknowledgement either. Like, okay, yeah, you know, Joe Biden is president. You know, it's, it's emotional appeal. They call him Lord, Lord. When you try to get someone's attention or you care about them a lot, you say their names twice. See that in the Bible, Jesus says, Martha, Martha. Or King David, Absalom, Absalom. If my kids wants to just acknowledge me, they would say, Dad. But if they want to get my attention, they would say, Dad, Dad. And if you're familiar with Fiddler on the Roof, what do the girls sing? Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Right? You have to say that twice. And it's not just one single appeal. In Greek, Jesus is using the present tense, which means it's, it's a continuous, ongoing action. No, they, they continuously, repeatedly cried out, Lord, Lord. And yet they continuously, repeatedly refused to do what Jesus says. Now, why would someone do that? Well, they find God useful. But they don't want to be used by God. But they like all the benefits of having God on their side, of boasting about their faith, or their relationship with God, of maybe even having God's power but they don't want to bear the cost of following God. They like a utilitarian God. The God is useful to them, but they don't want to be used by God. And examples abound for this type of relationships. 
right? You know, from hypocritical politicians who play up their faith to win votes, to religious leaders who commit spiritual abuse, to prosperity gospel preachers who say God can make you healthy and wealthy. But there's no depth to their relationship with God. They have a transactional relationship with Jesus. Well, as Jesus says in his metaphor, they're like a man who builds his house with no foundation. There's nothing there. And you may have relationships like that in your life. You know, I was a senior in college, and there was a norovirus outbreak at the school. And it happened on a Wednesday, and I was one of the first people to get sick. So then for the next few days, I quarantined in my room and so that no one would get sick because of me. And it was pretty lonely, and naturally I felt sorry for myself. And then on a Friday afternoon, I heard a knock on my door. And it was my best friend, Javier, who also lived downstairs. And I thought, great, finally he came out to hang out with me. And then he just said, hey, can I borrow $5? (laughs) And I took out a $5 bill, and he snatched it from my hand and ran down the hall as fast as he could and shouted behind him, thanks, see ya. And as far as I can remember, he never paid me back. (laughs) And we don't like, we don't like it when people use us. Of course, God doesn't like us when we use him and don't do what he says. It's possible to have a relationship with Jesus but not do his words. And Jesus says he is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the streams broke against it, immediately it fell. Now the flood in this metaphor may sound like the tests and trials of this life. When bad things happen, when sufferings come, the house crumbles. Their relationship with God crumbles because God ceases to be useful to them. He's not effective anymore. I don't need him. But I think Jesus is actually talking about something worse than that. Yes, the trials and sufferings of our lives can expose the shallowness of our faith. But if these people just give up on Jesus right away, they wouldn't be coming to him over and over again, crying out, Lord, Lord. Jesus is describing an ongoing relationship here. He's talking about those of us who keep going to him and crying out, Lord, Lord. And that means people, these people may continue to reap the benefits of following God, but disobey at the same time. And yet the flood in this metaphor is described with a one-time, as a one-time event. It's not an ongoing pounding. So the flood came, boom, the house crumbles. Now, Jesus is talking about the final judgment. Now, when a king comes to reveal all the secrets for those who only uses God for their benefits throughout their lives but refuses to be used by God for his glory, they will be rejected in the final judgment because their relationship with God has no depth. They may look religious to a lot of people, but God sees right through to their hearts. It's possible to have a relationship with Jesus but not do his words and be rejected at the end. Now, this teaching seems to fly against so much of American evangelical teachings, right? Now, you may say, I thought it's all about, it's not about doing. I thought it's all about relationship with God. I thought it's about, you know, I thought I was tied with Jesus. But yeah, if you only know the benefits, but not the cause of following Jesus, your relationship is not real. No one can truly come to know Jesus and not be transformed by his gospel. No one can truly cry out to Jesus as Lord 
and not submit to him. And that's why the apostle James, he writes, but be doers of the, law, of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the, Lord, of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once, forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And that's why we don't like James so much, isn't it? We like Paul. We're saved by grace, not by works. That's where the good stuff's at. But even Paul writes in Romans, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been, through, who has been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Now, knowing Jesus, hearing his words, comes with an obligation to do his works. It's not possible. It's possible to have a relationship with Jesus and not do his words and be rejected at the end. And I may respond, all right then. You want us to do your words? Fine, let's do it. But here's another situation that could get you rejected by Jesus. And when we come to Jesus and hear his words, it's impossible to do his words without a deep relationship with Jesus. In other words, it's impossible to be useful to God, to do his works, to be his first servants, and see no use of God. And you may think that this doesn't happen very often, but examples are bound for this type of relationship as well. Now, there's a book on sale on Amazon right now for $7.94. It's called The Life and Morals of Jesus. It has a rating of 4.4 stars and over 1,000 reviews. Have you heard of this book before? Of course you have. It's commonly known as the Jefferson Bible. I think most of you know the story. Thomas Jefferson was a deist. He did not believe in the divinity and miracles of Jesus, but he loved Jesus' teaching. So he literally cut and pasted sections of the Gospels that he liked with the razors and the glue, and he threw away the sections that he didn't like. So the birth narrative was included without any references to angels or genealogies or prophecies. The miracles were taken out. The sermon made the cut, or didn't make the cut, however you want to look at it. And the book ends with Jesus buried in a tomb. And here's a man, a brilliant man in that, who took Jesus' words seriously. So seriously that he made his own compilation of Jesus' teachings. But he refused to have a relationship with Jesus as who Jesus claimed to be. And I bet you if you go out to the streets of Cincinnati right now, and you go out tonight and blink, and ask people if anyone respects Jesus' teaching, most people will tell you, absolutely. Love your neighbor. Love your enemies. What could go wrong with that? If you only look to Jesus as a philosopher, or a teacher, or a moral example, you're not too different from Thomas Jefferson here. And that's not just a secular people's problem. The religious people have the same problem too. I know of a pastor 
right, who, who works to provide for his family. He makes sure stuff at church is going smoothly. He spends time reading the Bible and talking about Jesus with people. He's thinking about what to say in his next sermon, when, even when he's doing his dishes. And then by the end of the day, he is often exhausted and he feels underappreciated. And then he realizes, oh yeah, I haven't really spent that much time praying today. Do you know who I'm talking about? I'm talking about me. Well, I think many of you can connect with that. Sometimes it's easier to do the works of Jesus than to actually be with Jesus. Because being with Jesus takes time. Prayer and spending time with Jesus just seems so passive. We want to get things done. Let's go. But it's impossible to go on like that for a very long time. Now look at what Jesus says about doing his words. It's like a man who dug deep and laid foundations on the rock. You know, digging is hard work. And it takes time. Doing the words of Jesus is hard work. It takes time. It does not take very long to burn yourself out. Now, I don't know how well Thomas Jefferson followed Jesus' teachings personally. From what history tells us, he probably loved pleasures and nice things too much. You know, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor. Thomas Jefferson certainly didn't like being poor. And that's the bigger problem with doing Jesus' words. There's no point. What is the benefit of that? Now, there are some teachings in the Bible that are good principles for life and for society in themselves. For example, the Ten Commandments. Right? It's generally good for society that people don't go out and start murdering other people. Now, it's a good principle in life to honor your father and your mother so that you get your candies. So, or the golden rule, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, these are good ethics in and of themselves regardless of who taught them. History has shown them to be good, effective principles everywhere. But what Jesus teaches in this sermon is just bizarre. But blessed are the poor. Blessed are you who are hungry now. Blessed are you who weep now. Woe to the rich. Woe to you who laugh now. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other one also. From the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Lend them money, expecting nothing in return. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Now we can all agree that justice is good, but justice in God's kingdom means turn your other cheek and loving your enemies. And what's the point? Now, these words make no sense in and of themselves. Now, there are no personal or social benefits in doing any of that. And not only that, Jesus' teaching got himself killed. Now, what did Jesus gain by being poor? By loving his enemies, by turning the other cheek? Maybe some of you have seen the latest Thor movie, Love and Thunder. The villain in the movie is known as the God Butcher. Right? The God Butcher, he goes around killing mythical gods like Thor. But it didn't start off like that. He was a devoted worshiper of his God. He was persecuted and hated. And a movie opened with him holding his dying daughter because they were so hungry and thirsty. And finally his daughter dies in his arm and he meets his God. And he bowed down and he said, 
bringer of life. I'm Gore, the last of your disciples. I'm the only one left. We have lost everything. The land is dry. All life is lost. But our faith in you never wavered. And now we await the promise of the eternal reward. And the God just laughs at him. He thinks there's an eternal reward. No, there's no reward for you, dog. And the man began to cry. We have suffered. We have starved. My daughter died in your name. And the God simply answered, "And well, you should. Suffering for your God is your only purpose. There's nothing for you after death, except death." The man, the man became angry and took this magical sword and killed, killed this god. And then he goes around the universe killing all the gods. Now I know this is just a movie, but it's not too hard to imagine ourselves in that situation, isn't it? If we work hard and make huge sacrifices for no other purposes than doing just the right things or following a certain set of principles, it won't take very long to become exhausted. The solution even become angry and bitter. It's impossible to do the words of Jesus without a deep relationship with Him. Because I will admit to you, if Jesus is not who He said He is, I'm the first one out of here. Not because I don't want to do the work, but just these teachings in and of themselves are not enough as a foundation to build my life on. They make no sense. Even Apostle Paul says, "If the dead are not raised, then eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow I die." It's possible to have a relationship with Jesus, but not do His words. It's impossible to do His work without a deep relationship with Jesus. Both of these outcomes are destructive. So let me suggest a third situation: know Jesus deeply. Let him transform you to do his word. That's the only imperishable outcome. The Apostle Paul started off serving God out of principle and self-righteousness. He called himself a Pharisee of Pharisees, and that was a compliment for him. He made a name for himself by persecuting the early church because he thought these Jesus followers were heretics. And one day, while he was on his way to persecute more Christians, He had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus, and he was transformed. He recognized how futile it was to serve God by his own power. He wrote, "What of a gain I had?" So that means, you know, being a true Israelite, born in the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of the law. What of a gain I had? I counted as loss for the sake of Jesus. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord. And what does knowing Jesus do for Paul? Well, first, he sees that all of his efforts to serve God and earn God's approval were futile. God's standards were too high; he can't do it himself. But instead of facing God's judgment and wrath, God's judgment and wrath fell on Jesus. Jesus died for all of us who failed to follow his teaching. Jesus not only loved his enemies; he died to save his enemies. Jesus died for Paul, who was persecuting his followers, and Paul knows that Jesus died for him. He's loved beyond his imagination. 
And that motivated Paul to share in Jesus' sufferings, even dying as a martyr in Rome. But Paul learned something else when he saw the resurrected Jesus. And after death, there's life. Well, Jesus' resurrection shows that his kingdom is true. There's a future for God's people who follow Jesus and trust him. There's a future for people who make great sacrifice to serve him. There's a future for people who build their lives on him. Now, Jesus' resurrection says to us, it's all true, it's not wishful thinking. The kingdom is real. And Paul writes, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Think of Paul's words here. If the dead are not raised, then eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. But if the resurrection is true, then we can count all things as laws and follow him. It's not enough to just know Jesus as a teacher. There's no power in that. Know him as the resurrected Lord, and you'll be transformed and empowered to do his words. To give you a more modern example, it's a pastor named Wang Yi, now in prison in China for pastoring a house church. And he said this in a sermon before his imprisonment. Why have we seen the gospel flourish in China over the last few decades? Because the Chinese church has been imprisoned for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the mystery of the gospel, the Chinese church has been bound, banished, despised, and persecuted for more than half a century. The Chinese church has many witnesses like Apostle Paul who has been imprisoned for Jesus' sake. As a result, the gospel that the Chinese church has been preaching has not yet provided Chinese Christians with any worldly benefits. In China, Satan cannot say that the reason so many people in China believe in Jesus is because believing in him guarantees them success or social status or the respect of authorities or protection from the law. Through the Chinese church, God has made his manifold wisdom known to Satan and to the heavenly authorities. Then when the Christians in China are beaten, they forgive. When they're arrested, they bless. And when they're imprisoned, they share about Jesus with their fellow inmates. They pray for their wardens. They show by their actions that what they believe is true. The only purpose in following Jesus is to know that his kingdom is true. Some people come to God, or gods, or Buddha, or whatever, because they find him effective. He can benefit us. He, can, he answers our requests. Therefore, he must be true. Some people follow a set of ideas or principles because they're effective. They lead to stable and flourishing society. Therefore, they must be true. And when we come to the Sermon on the Plain, when we come to Jesus' life, there seems to be nothing effective about them. These words bring no earthly benefits. They make no sense as moral principles in and of themselves. But we follow Jesus because we know that his resurrection is true. His kingdom is true. His promises are true. And therefore, his words are effective in saving us and transforming our world. The kingdom of God is true. Therefore, it's effective. Jesus' teachings 
his life, his death and resurrection offer the world a preview of his kingdom. And we can do the same. We live out his words not for any benefits in and of themselves, but because we believe his kingdom is true. And we are citizens of his kingdom. We belong to him. And we are ambassadors of Christ on earth. And by living out Jesus' words here in this world, we point people to the kingdom to come. Therefore, blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who are hungry now. Blessed are you who weep now. Blessed are you when people hate you and exclude you and revile you for Jesus' sake. Rejoice and behold, your reward is great in heaven. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that you gave us your word not only to teach us a way to obey you and to please you, but also teach us the value of your kingdom. And that through your life, your resurrection, we know that your kingdom is true. That's a future for all of us who follow you, who died in you, and who were raised, who were raised in you. So, Father, we pray that you will help us to follow these words, empower us with the hope of your resurrection, and give us faith to do them every day and look forward to the life to come when we share and feast with you in the kingdom. We pray all these in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from New City, a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Visit our website at newcitycincy.org for more sermons and resources. That's newcitycincy.org. Thanks for joining us today, and God bless you.